first and foremost, what I want from women that read the book is to start questioning your conditioning and start looking at what really is your truth. That's the question I bring to the reader right from the very beginning. Like, what is my conditioning versus what is my truth? It's great to have Andrea Owen back on the show. If you don't know Andrea, she is a speaker, life coach, author, and hellraiser. She's on a mission to create impact in women's empowerment, and she does that through her books, which have been translated into 18 languages and are now available in 22 countries. She helps high-achieving women maximize unshakable confidence and master resilience. You can learn more about Andrea and her work over at andreaowen.com. On this episode of Here to Thrive, we cover so much. It's all about life, healing, and finding our own truth. Specifically, we talk about Andrea and her journey over the last couple of years, but also some of the things from her past that have really influenced her self-understanding and knowledge. We talk about complex PTSD Andrea's experience with sensory processing disorder, neurodiversity and ADHD, the stories we tell ourselves about our lives, what we need to make positive affirmations actually work, gender norms and internalized misogyny, and as women, what we might be soaking up unconsciously as truth. She also encourages us to really lean into that one crucial question. What is my conditioning versus what is my truth? I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation with you. So let's dive right in. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Andrea, it's a joy to have you back on here to thrive. How have you been? Oh, Kate, I'm so excited. I was I was so excited when I saw your name on my calendar today. I um I've been good, very busy as as one does when I had to have a book come out. Because the last time we spoke, your last book had came out, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about making some noise. Right. A a slight departure. Yeah. (laughs) Similar, but a slight departure. And yeah, that book, I don't know if you know this, but it it always impresses me very much. How to Stop Feeling Like Shit has been translated into 18 languages, which makes me so happy that so many people around the world are are wanting to not feel like shit. (laughs) It just goes to show how much we're overfeeling like shit. So for anyone, Andrea, who doesn't know you, would you tell us a few things about yourself? Whenever I get asked this question, I'm like, oh my gosh, what can I say that's that's super interesting? And I, I, you know, my life isn't 
really interesting or glamorous. I do have quite a, a story of, of past dysfunction, which we can get into if you want. We probably talked about that the last time I was here, but um, I'm a trained coach. I also have a, I have a science background. I have a degree in exercise physiology with a, an emphasis in health science. And I'm a mama of two kids that are growing up so fast. It's blowing my mind and a dog mom. And I love to ride my Peloton bike and I speak up on stages and I write books. That's usually what my time consists of. And I really like my husband too. Like I love hanging out with him. <laughs> you know, that is such a bonus considering the COVID world. I've been in a marriage where that wasn't the case. <laughs> and this is very different. Oh my gosh. I know we did touch a little bit on some of your past history. I know you've been sober for how many years? I will have 10 years on the 27th of this month, September. Wow, that is so impressive. And I feel like there was also the not healthy relationships in the past as well, right? Right, you mean with people and and not alcohol? (laughs) Well, I guess it goes all ways, right? Right. Yeah, so I was married before. And my, that's what brought me to this, to the work of personal development. So my former husband, we were discussing conceiving our first child. I was not pregnant yet, but we always knew we wanted to have kids. We had been married for a few years at that point. We'd been together for 13 years since we were young and he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant. And so we divorced and then I ended up in another relationship that was, he was essentially relationship after that. He was a con man. He conned me. So that was like my rock bottom moment. I was pregnant with the boyfriend's child. And it was, I was like, what, what in the lifetime movie is going on here? And it really, what prompted me to take responsibility for my life and just dive into personal development. So that was 15 years ago. Yeah. 15 years ago. I feel like so many people have that rock bottom moment story, don't they? Where it was the turning point by the sounds of it, Andrea. Yeah. And it it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, like a pivotal thing that happened, like a divorce or they get let go from their job. Like for some people it's, you know, maybe they're in therapy and they have this realization of their own patterns because of their family of origin stuff or, or past trauma, where it's kind of this, like, for lack of a better expression, slow burn to bring them to that point where they think, okay, it's time for me to change my life and then are open to doing that, whatever it might look like. Yeah, I know what you mean, that you can still have the aha moment without having to pick yourself up off the bathroom floor. Yeah, without having the oh shit moment. The ghost <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't have to have that. <laughs> Do you know, I didn't know the first bit of that part of the story. I knew about having the con man ex-boyfriend, but I didn't know about the boyfriend previously. Yeah, so it was my husband. That was my oh first my husband. Gosh. So we had been together since we were teenagers, got married after 10 years together. And yeah, and I was really close to his family, which was also probably honestly, Kate, like the hardest part of that breakup was having to also break up with his family. I stayed in that marriage and that relationship for so long because I was so close to, you know, my in-laws, his siblings, their wives, you know, like, you know, when you're married to someone, oftentimes you become a part of your spouse's family. And that can be the hardest part of the divorce. And, um, it was incredibly traumatic and it, it's only over the last few years, honestly, through lots of therapy that this newest therapist that I specifically hired to do somatic trauma work with me 
is that she confirmed because my previous therapist and my actually my doctor told me that I had PTSD from this experience. This uh, particular therapist more recently introduced me to the term complex PTSD, which is similar to PTSD, but it's reserved for things that happen to someone, traumatic events that happen over time, which is what happened to me. And it was really eye-opening to, <laughs> to do the research and have her tell me what the symptoms are and just gave me a lot of validation that I'm not crazy, <laughs> that I just am traumatized. Wow. So yeah, a lot of work last year. I'm super interested. You just mentioned the somatic therapy. What mm -hmm. does a somatic therapist do that is different to your regular therapist? There's all kinds, there's all different kinds. And I, I had done so much talk therapy, which I think is incredibly helpful, especially for someone who's just starting to sort of dip their toes into therapy. And I think it's necessary to do talk therapy. That's sort of traditional when you're, when you're thinking about therapy. Somatic work is more so when you, and by somatic, we mean body. So you're tapping into, and you're, and you're sort of making that mind body connection because trauma, whether it was something extremely difficult, you know, like, you know, physical abuse or emotional abuse or something like that, or if it was just something small, like, like moving, like moving from New Zealand to the United States, that can be mildly traumatic for people. That was hard, Andrea. It was right. really hard. <laughs> right. And a lot of people feel kind of bad admitting that because they'll, they'll say something like, well, trauma is reserved for people who have had egregious things happen to them, which is true. It, it is, it, it's traumatic for those people, but it's not like a zero sum game. Like it, trauma is trauma. Like it, the definition is, Anytime you face something that you don't have the skill set or the tools to be able to cope well through it. That's how I define trauma. There's way better clinical <laughs> definitions, but it's a huge spectrum. It's also called big T trauma versus little t trauma. You know, the big T is for people who've been victims of violence and things like that. Little t is for things like moving across the world. It's traumatic. So all that to say is that the trauma lives in our bodies. This is why people have flashbacks. This is why people have nightmares. This is why people will smell something and it will take them right back there. This is also why we get triggered if we're in a relationship and our partner does something unknowingly that reminds us of our family of origin or a former partner that was hurtful. That's somatic stuff going on. And so what the somatic therapy does is so my therapist did something called oh shoot now I forget the name of it AIG it was like something integrative I should know this <laughs> this is not my area of expertise like I just want to hear your your what happened to you through it Andrea oh so she did things like it 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 was like visualizations it was cord cutting it was I don't even know what the name of it is where you had to like you come up with these repetitive thought beliefs that you have. And it's sort of like EFT tapping. Have you mm -hmm. heard of EFT tapping? I have heard of EFT okay. tapping. So it's similar to that, except you you are you put your hand on all these different points in your body, like the top of your head, your throat, underneath each armpit, in each groin, in your like root chakra. And when I was doing it, we did it many, many times, and I had different physical experiences each time. Sometimes I didn't really have any physical experiences. Sometimes it would feel like there was a bouncy ball, like bouncing inside of my body. I also twitched a lot. 
I had involuntary twitching. It wasn't like a seizure or anything like that. It was just mild twitching. And my therapist said that was normal. Some people, she said, some people get gassy, like they'll burp and fart. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I've not have been able to not laugh through that. That didn't happen to me. But yeah, like your body is sort of processing what happened and it's fascinating and it helped a lot. I wanted to be less affected by dreams that I was having. So that's why I knew there was still stuff going on. That's so interesting. And so you were doing this type of therapy when you wrote this book. Do you think that it played a part in your unfolding and finding the voice you have in this book? Probably. I think any anything that you are going through at the time that's challenging or difficult, I think it's going to affect your work. I mean, when I wrote How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, my dad died. Like, so <laughs> that was that was harder. But yeah, that affected how I wrote the book. I mean, just, just with the content. And I do think it helped. And I, I wanted to make sure that I did that work either before I wrote the book or as I was writing the book so that I could tap more into the anger that I was feeling around this topic. That's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. Like, where did this book come from? Because you say in the introduction, you felt this rage. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, it started, I think for many women, the 2016 election here in the US was was rough and woke a lot of people up. And then the 2017 Me Too movement, quite honestly, is what really sort of knocked me down. And I think it was re-traumatizing for a lot of women. And then in 2018, when the Kavanaugh trials happened and then um, Chanel Miller and, you know, the Brock Turner case and and all of these, these things happening, which were happening before, but I think sort of within, I hate to say like pop culture, but just in the media in general, the light was sort of shining on it. It was sort of the topic du jour. And I think it's important that it happened. And at the same time, it was very difficult for a lot of people to walk through who had experience with sexual assault or sexual harassment. And, you know, I was one of those people that had had a difficult time. And it just, that's really around the time it had tapped me on the shoulder before it actually tapped me on the shoulder when I was writing how to stop feeling like shit in 2016. I think I was writing that book. Yes. And it was sort of born from those things that were happening all around us and in, in, in our, in our world. And I just, I got to, when I say this in the book, I got to a point where I, I knew that I could not talk about women's empowerment anymore without talking about this gigantic elephant in the room. And that is the culture that raised us. And there's problems. There's big problems. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you frame it up as really, we have to look at both sides of that equation. Like, how were we socialized? But also, how can we change ourselves to not fall, fall into these traps? Right. And what I've come to realize more recently, and I, I don't talk about this in the book, because I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't dove in yet. But I, I think there's actually three different reasons why we behave in the ways that specifically women 
come to coaching or sometimes therapy for. So I'm talking about like the people pleasing, the perfectionism, the sometimes overachieving, the procrastinating, like all these things that were like, oh, why do I do these things? Sometimes it's because of the culture that that raised us. Like I talk about and make some noise. That's the reason that we people please because we are always trying to make everyone more comfortable. It's because we're taught to be accommodating. The other way is sometimes just from our family of origin, like it was what was modeled for us. You engage in perfectionism. It might be because your family put a lot of pressure on you to be a certain way. And the other thing that I've come to realize is that it's sometimes it's our wiring. And so I've recently been diagnosed with ADHD, impulse control disorder, and auditory processing disorder. I knew about the auditory processing disorder for a long time. I had just never had a formal diagnosis. But the ADHD and the impulse control disorder were new and interesting and explain a lot. But I had a very fascinating conversation with a psychologist that diagnosed me, and she very much thinks that people-pleasing in both men and women has to do with our wiring. So it's fascinating. And again, not something I know a ton about, but I, I don't know if we can put a percentage on it. You know, like what's this much is this, but it's, it's a spectrum and just something for people to think about. Okay. Side note, what is auditory processing disorder? How does that show up? Sensory processing disorder is like the larger kind of thing, if you will. And my son was diagnosed with that when he was five, 2013. So the therapist recommended the book, The Out of Sync Child. And I know for a lot of children, it shows up as like they don't like the way that their socks feel on their feet and they throw fits about different clothing or tags. My son actually doesn't, he's he's sensory seeking in that way with touch. So he, that never bothered him. For him, it was sight and it was noise. And so I'm reading this book, Kate, and I'm crying because I'm like, oh my God, this is my life. (laughs) This is my life. And I've just learned to cope with it. Mine is um, a little bit of smell and sight, but it is mostly by far sound. So how, what it looks like is in neurotypical brains, they have kind of a, a mute button, maybe more so like a volume button when it comes to outside sound. So if you and I are having this conversation right now, and especially if we were in person and I'm having to listen to you and also the dishwasher is on and there's a dog barking next door and the TV is on, like a neurotypical brain can sort of turn down those other noises of the dishwasher, the dog and the TV. So I can focus on what you're saying to me. People with auditory processing disorder, we don't have that. So all of those noises are at the same volume competing with each other. And our brain is sort of like, like a pinball machine. Like, I don't know what to concentrate on. And then our anxiety goes up because we have to focus, especially if it's an important conversation. Like if someone's giving us instructions or we're at work or, oh God, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Even just talking about it makes me (laughs) So that's auditory processing disorder. I feel like so often it's really empowering to understand our differences because like you said, it just explains so much. You don't feel so confused about yourself. I I think there's great power in it. Yeah. And I, and I asked the the psychologist about this and I said, cause she specializes in adults. And I said, I feel like neurodiversity is a lot more common than we know. And it's just now coming to light because more people are talking about mental health and, you know, my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, like we didn't, 
I mean, the only kids that were diagnosed with ADHD were like the hyperactive little boys. And she said she agrees with me and that also neurodiversity is such a spectrum and there's not a one size fits all. And so many of us have, my ADHD is mild and so is my impulse control disorder, but my auditory processing disorder, like I'm on the higher side of that and it might look different for someone else. So it's just something interesting for people to look into if you you know resonate with any of the symptoms that I'm talking about. And there's for some people, medication can change your life. I'm trying one right now and it's not helping all that much. So maybe we'll find one that, that works. And if not, you know, I'm 46. I have found coping mechanisms that work for me. And I graduated with honors from college. I have a successful business. So we learn to live with it, but there, you know, there is support to help it be a little bit easier. Really interesting little side note there. And I think an important conversation to have, like you're saying. Yeah. Back to make some noise and the rage that fueled it. I was feeling it. I picked up the book and I started reading and I was like, oh shit, I didn't realize how much I needed to read this book. And I was sharing with you a little bit, Andrea, before we jumped on the call, that for the listeners who have been listening for a while, you will know that I was diagnosed with breast cancer three years ago. And that definitely rocked my world. As you can imagine, of course, it would rock your world. Luckily caught at stage one and I am healthy and free of breast cancer, but it did. It threw me into this loop of so many things, right? Which I could spend and will do spend many podcasts discussing. But one of the things that I realized more recently, Andrea, is that I went into a shell and Mm -hmm. I have been playing very small. And I was just saying to you that I noticed I was dismissed the other day by someone and it kind of got this little rage fire bit in my belly. And I was like, hold tight, just because I'm a little lady and you don't think I am capable or whatever it may be. It made me kind of want to get up and be like, hold tight, watch this space. It's time for me to make some noise. So Mm -hmm. I feel like I need this book more than ever. And I'm very excited that it's found its way into the world right now. But I feel like so many of the topics you cover in the book are things that, like you said, that might make us feel kind of icky. And I know I feel that, right? Like, well, if I want to take up space, am I a narcissist? Or if I try and make some noise in the world, will people think that I have malintent? You know, like all of Mm -hmm. these kind of things that I think women deal with. So I would say, how do we put those sort of naysaying internal voices aside and be like, no, we need to step up and use our voices. Yeah, it's tricky. And by the way, my apologies, everyone. I think my microphone wasn't on. So if I sound different, it's because I I switched it on. You sounded good to me. So okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, I, I I noticed that it was just it was the other microphone. Anyway, that is I love this question because on the surface, I don't want people to think that what I'm prescribing is for you to start yelling at people and confronting people in anger and flipping tables and flipping off your boss. <laughs> like if you want, of course, do what you want, but that's not that helpful and it's not healthy or functional. And that's not what I'm saying. Obviously makes some noises is a title and it's an expression, but when we go below the surface, 
first and foremost, what I want from women that read the book is to start questioning your conditioning and start looking at what really is your truth. That's the question I bring to the reader right from the very beginning. Like, what is my conditioning versus what is my truth? Because your conditioning, Kate, might tell you that it's not okay for you to speak up to that person that was dismissive, that you should just let it go. But your truth is, is that she did something that made you feel a certain way and you have every right to, to bring it up. And I think with these types of situations, when people ask me like, what do you think I should do? My first question always is how invested are you in the relationship? You know, we don't have to have hard conversations with every single person that we come across, just like we don't have to express empathy to every single person that, you know, share, tells us their deepest, darkest secrets. It depends. It always depends. One of the chapters that stood out for me in the book, which was around the stories we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love I love this concept and it's so powerful and that the way we interpret our lives matters immensely. And the difference between telling ourselves disempowering stories or empowering stories about our lives can change everything. You also talk about in that chapter, though, that we can't just like slap a positive affirmation over our our narratives and expect that to fix everything as well. Can we talk more about that? Yeah. Well, you have to, first of all, like believe that it's possible to, to change. And, you know, any expert who talks about changing your habits, changing your mindset will tell you that. And I, I believe that's why positive affirmations don't work by themselves. They are a fantastic addition to other tools, but when tried all by themselves, I think they can make people feel worse about themselves because they don't see or feel any change. And then they think they're broken or whatever. So just fair warning on that. <laughs> but yeah, I think you have to first believe that it's possible to change your life. You have to believe that it's possible to change your mindset. And you also have to have to understand exactly what we were talking about a couple minutes ago, that it is, it's a journey. And, and I know that's very cliche, especially in our industry, but you know, cliches are cliches because they're true. <laughs> is that, you know, you're, you're going to have to regularly, if not constantly work on it. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I, have you had experience with like rewriting some of your own narratives from your past? Oh yeah. Um, a lot of, um, I think the two big ones that pop up, which are probably like just two big main themes. And then there's smaller ones underneath that are my, my money story, as well as my relationship story. So my money story, uh, and that one's a little bit more nuanced, but my, my relationship story was that all relationships are too hard, that there are no good men out there and all men cheat. And I'm just destined for a life of betrayal, infidelity, and just heartbreak. And how do you even start to rewrite that? Well, I asked my therapist, I walked into her office after my husband had an, had an affair and we were getting divorced. And I said, does anyone live happily ever after? Because I felt like all I was hearing about was people getting divorced and you know how hard it was and men cheating on their wives. And, and she said, yes, but not without a lot of work on both parts. And I was like, okay, then I guess I'm gonna have to find someone who's willing to do the work. Um, can I dive into this for a second? I am I just, so wanting to dive into this. I just 
I just did some research that was super interesting that I had never thought about before. So I'm kind of new to TikTok, the social media platform. And I have posted some videos where there's the way that TikTok works. It's interesting. It's different than Instagram or Facebook. And there's like these, these trends that people do. And I I participated in this one trend where I made very short video talking about how, when I found out my husband had an affair, I, um, took all of his pants and underwear and cut a hole in the crotch and put them all away. And I left him a note that said, since you couldn't keep your dick in your pants, I thought I would help you out. And that video went viral. It has like over six and a half million views. Like it got picked up by the media. It was bananas. And so I got lots of comments, (laughs) thousands and thousands of comments, all kinds of different comments, but there were some repetitive comments and there were a lot of comments from men saying something like, what did you do to drive him to the affair? You must've been doing something wrong could you not keep him satisfied that he had to go elsewhere? And I found it interesting that it was asked by so many men and it was asked by exactly zero women. And so, so this was months ago that that happened. And then I got another comment on it and you, you can make video replies to comments. And I, I, I replied to this one like older gentleman who was asking that same question. He was really nice about it. So I decided to reply. And what was interesting is there were a lot of replies from women saying, why do men always blame the women, the the woman for the affair? And nobody ever like points at the man, even though he's the, he's the one cheating. And I was like, that's really interesting. So I did some research. And what I found out from experts is that historically speaking, men long time ago, <laughs> when you're in a heterosexual marriage, the the men were usually relied on for food and shelter, like, you know, keeping the family safe. And the women were expected to comfort, compassion, raise the children, uphold the relationship and sexually satisfy their husband. And so that's old gender roles, old stereotypes. So it's 2021 and our circumstances have changed a lot. (laughs) Women are much more independent. We don't need men like we used to, you know, economically, but our thinking hasn't changed. And it's really interesting how that happens and how, and this is like subconscious stereotypes and and gender roles that are just embedded. I, I don't know if they're embedded in our DNA, but they're definitely embedded in our thinking, in our brains that we automatically think that. And even women, it's not just men that think that it's, it's, it's women. And that's what internalized misogyny is. And it's so fascinating, you know, that we ha- we have to start having these conversations and start breaking down these old stereotypes because that's also, you know, it's important for both men and women to realize this because that's part of the work. You know, when I said, I'm going to have to find myself a partner who's willing to do the work, <laughs> that's part of it. I said at the very beginning of our conversation, like, I really like my husband. I loved my ex-husband. I didn't like him. I didn't like him. You know, and looking back on it, he brought zero to the relationship he was good looking, but it's like, that's not enough. Like that's, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that doesn't last so long. <laughs> no. And it's like, I didn't realize it at the time because at the time, all I thought was like, okay, I need to find a husband who can father my children and be this dad. And you know, we're going to live happily ever after or so I hoped. And I, I knew when I married him, Kate, that he wasn't going to be a great husband, but I knew he would be a great dad. 
And that was enough. And looking back on it, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, no, do I deserve crumbs? Like, is that enough? And I was so afraid to leave him to try to start over in my early thirties and leave his family that I stayed. Like I was willing to essentially give up my life for that. And it blows my mind. And I'm so glad the universe intervened and plopped this beautiful neighbor across the street. (laughs) And he took advantage of that and we are not together anymore. And anyway, I talked about like a lot of different things in that whole little diatribe. So I'm going to take a drink of water and let you respond which direction you want to go. I feel like you're talking about the themes of this book, though, that you're talking about Mm. everything that this book represents. And it's around the fact that what are we just soaking up as women that this is just how it is and this is just how you have to show up you know like exactly soaking up is truth and like you said it's just running unconsciously in the background and we're accepting it not just opening our eyes a little bit more and saying hold tight what else could I expect for myself what else could I claim for myself along the lines of, you know, putting this alongside Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, I feel like this is a cultural shift that so many of us are going, hold tight. Like, why is it my fault that my husband cheated on me? It's damn well not my fault. Mm-hmm. And don't give me that crap. I yeah. won't accept well, it. Well, to be fair, I, 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 infidelity is a symptom of a typically much larger problem and both parties, there's something going on, you know, and if you, you know, listen to Esther Perel, she's a great expert on the topic of, of infidelity. And again, to be fair, that relationship was doomed from the start. And I, for a long time, I thought it was my fault. I'm like, it must've been something that I did or didn't do. And it wasn't, it was, it was our relationship as a whole was falling apart. He felt entitled to screw whoever he wanted and he went out and did it. He also felt entitled for me to be the one to fix the relationship, which again, goes back to those historical stereotypes. It's just so interesting to me that I think it's such a pertinent example that it sort of came up. Speaking of, I am on TikTok, but I never go on it, but Andrea, your reels on Instagram, they are my favorite. Like they're from TikTok. Oh, yeah, I figured you knew that. I'm like, oh it's my so gosh. Fun. Like you just, the only person I stop and watch on Instagram in all truth. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. You've got to go and follow her on, on TikTok <laughs> or Instagram, whichever is your place people. Cause that you're brilliant. It's, it's Thank like, you. I'm a, Hey, Andrea Owen on both platforms. I, I, I really like TikTok. It's fun. I'm like, Oh my gosh, she she came back and she came back with reels and TikToks. Like, oh my gosh, I'm loving it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Another one that I feel like is is worth just sort of touching on is, and this is something I'm prone to, is checking out of our lives. And you say this is under the titles of shit to stop doing. You've mm-hmm. got the book sort of separated into shit to start doing and shit to stop doing. I feel like in my own coaching practice, and like I said, this is very much something I struggle with, is that as women, we just check out. And I know obviously you haven't been drinking for the last several years, but I think that a lot of women, especially when I look at COVID, alcohol is a great way to check out. Just let's just numb out from life. Have you seen this in your own coaching practice as a major issue for women? Yes. It is. I would say about half of my clients come to me because they feel like they have a a problem with their relationship with alcohol. And 
some of them, it's worse than they initially tell me, you know, maybe they didn't want to admit it themselves and not everyone I think identifies as an alcoholic or, or an addict. I think it's one of those terms that there's such a spectrum and also we have such a disdain for that term. It's not exactly a term of endearment. Uh, so that being said, my short answer is absolutely positively. And, and for people who don't have a problem with, with alcohol, it might be food, it might be shopping. And I think for many of us, it's our phones, you know, oh. we, and, and for me, it's books. Like I, <laughs> I was having a, fr I was talking to my friend, Laura McCowan, we were talking about our, just our, she's also sober, like our deep lust for fiction. And that's the thing that. I sort of, I, I notice I have the similar behaviors as I did with, with wine. So it's like, I want to make sure that I had enough wine in the house. So I always make sure that I have other books in the queue. So if I finish one, I don't have to spend time looking for one. Cause that like a book hole, like I don't like that feeling of like not having something to grab onto. And yeah, like I look forward to like getting in bed at the end of the night and like just diving into this book and not talking to anyone else. And that's how I check out. But honestly, like I, that is not unhealthy. Like it's, it's not affecting my life negatively. I'm not neglect. Like I'm still showering, you know, <laughs> you're not completely chicken, but right. Like I'm, what I'm hearing you say though, is it's the type of habit, like every habit you just mentioned, then they're well and good in moderation, but too much of a good thing can turn into a form of numbing out. Yeah. Like what was that book? The glass castle speaking of books. And I, I think it was that one where she, the main character, it's a memoir. And she talks about her mother who there was mental illness there and how her mother was constantly reading and there was four kids and she was just not parenting. So that I could see could be a problem, but <laughs> you know, self-care and numbing out, there's a fine line a between fine line. when we cross over and, and unfortunately like there's no litmus test or you're the only one who knows when you're actually like completely checking out of your life and it's starting to affect you negatively. But yeah, I feel like there are a lot of coping mechanisms out there that are healthy and good for you and all in the name of self-care. Right. It's it's funny you mentioned that because it's been something that's front of mind for me at the moment is really highlighting the dark side of self-care and how it can get into a dangerous space. And I think that's coming up to, for me at the moment just because we are coming out of this COVID craziness. Well, Mm -hmm. just barely coming out of it. But I think many of us have picked up habits that helped get us through that, that it's time to let go of now because they exactly. could become dangerous if we continue taking them forward. That's, yes, that's, I love how you said that. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I just feel like I said, I need this book right now, Andrea, and I know so many other women will benefit from it. If you were to sort of sum up with like one thought to perhaps leave us to ponder or inspire, what comes to mind right now? It's probably that question that I mentioned a little bit ago around, you know, the listener asking themselves, what is my conditioning versus what is my truth? So Kate, that example that you gave when you had been dismissed and you didn't say anything about it, ask yourself the question, you know, what is my conditioning versus what is my truth? And it's not necessarily a jumping off point to take action. Like that's, that's great if, if you end up doing that, but more importantly, I want people to get curious about their life and where they're not showing up and why why are you not showing up? Is it because 
you are afraid? Is it because you've been taught that it's not okay for women to behave that way? (laughs) That's what I want people to start to break down. What is my conditioning versus what is my truth? Oh my gosh, Mm. just such a powerful question. Andrea, thank you so much. This has been a joy and we will no doubt catch up again. And in the meantime, I'll be stalking you over on Instagram and maybe I'll get on TikTok. (laughs) Maybe I'll try it out. (laughs) <laughs> yes, let's comment over there so I can so I can so comment you can back. Reply. I will. I will. I love getting comments on TikTok. So yes, thank you every thank you for listening and and just it's been a joy to have this conversation with you. Andrea is so fascinating. There's so many pieces in there that I am sure will land with different people. We were talking about her book, Make Some Noise. Speak your mind and own your strength. As she said, it's that crucial question of checking in with yourself and asking, what is my conditioning versus what is my truth? You can find links to make some noise in Andrea's website, andreaowen.com, over at heretothrive.com, podcast 156. As we're wrapping out the end of 2021, we have one more episode with you next week with Cassandra Bodzak on how we can really manifest using meditation. What are the tools we really need to bring online to become the magnet for the things that we desire? Moving into 2022, I do have a free reflection and planning guide that I use with all my clients and I would encourage you to go over and download that if you haven't already totally free here to thrive.com forward slash sign up there's no better time to do a little reflection around the end of the year start of a new one I believe wholeheartedly in stepping out of our lives and really reflecting on what we want to bring forward into our lives. So we'll be back next week. And in the meantime, enjoy your holidays and keep thriving, beautiful people. Keep thriving. Keep thriving.